This is um, the continuation of the series, Watch Your Mouth. Today we're going to finish up the series entitled Watch Your Mouth with a title that I think most of you may have heard of before, uh, Double Tongued. And uh, how many of you know somebody that's double tongued? Would you raise your hand? How many have no idea what double tongued is? Would you raise your hand? Really? Wow. Is that kind of an old school way of saying that they speak out of both sides of their mouth? They're, they say one thing and then another to another person that's the opposite of what they just said. That's double tongue. Some people say it this way. That person has a split tongue. You may have heard of that. Or, or some say that guy speaks, like I said before, out of both sides of the mouth. They say this, and then they say this to that person, and they are not the same. They're double-minded. Maybe you've heard that. Same thing. Uh, But double-tongued is the idea that this person is a hypocrite in their language because the way they speak to this person contradicts what they speak to that person. They say, for instance, I love Starbucks. And then they go to another person and say, I hate Starbucks. I love uh, one of these compromising places like Tim Hortons. That is the double tongue. And that person is a hypocrite. This afternoon, I want to specifically focus on the two sides of the double tongue. Sometimes this, like I said, referred to in different ways. One specific way is um, double talk. You've probably heard that used before. They always are uh, using their tongue in a way that is pleasing to everybody they meet. They want to please that person, so they'll say whatever that person wants to hear. Southerners are wonderful at that. That's what I grew up with. You know, they, they want to satisfy everybody, and so they appease them by saying whatever that person wants to hear. So uh, one minute they're a Democrat, one minute they're a Republican, and the next minute they're independent. You know, you never know where they're going to be. Sometimes this idea of being double-tongued or having double-talk is... is is a person that is so desperate to be accepted that they're willing to say whatever it takes. Saying one thing to one person and something different to another. So according to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, there's two sides to the tongue. There's death and there's life. There's, there's good and there's bad. There's, clear understa- there's a clear understanding that you can help or hurt people with the words you choose to use. You can either bring life to them or death to them. Interesting thing about the double tongue, they do both. One minute they're bringing life, the next minute they're bringing death. One minute they're applauding the person to their face, and the next minute they're stabbing them in the back. You don't know if you can trust them because they're hypocrites with what they say. And the idea of the double-tongued is illustrated in the life of the Pharisee. Now, before I get to that, I want you to understand that it's very important, this subject, uh, because it's even addressed in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. It, as a requirement for leadership, you cannot be double-tongued. Let me read it. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy, a filth, filthy leaker. Looker. Looker? Looker? Thank you, guys. I love having you guys in this service because sometimes I'll say things and I question it and I go, well, they'll correct me anyway, so it doesn't matter. Two Greek words are used when it comes to the word double tongue or the words double tongue. De logos. De logos. It means words, but before that it means two. 
two words. We're two-worded. Double tongue. Dilogos. Two-worded in everything they say. As a deacon, as a leader, you cannot do that. It's very clear according to the writings of Paul. This is a necessity that you're not doubled tongue. And for us, it's important to understand as Christians, if we allow this in our life, it's hypocrisy. It's something that Jesus hates. Jesus spoke very aggressively against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And I think this is one of those areas that we kind of overlook. Christians and their hypocrisy when it comes to saying two different things, speaking out of both sides of their mouth. And, and, and the double tongue is often regarded in two different ways, okay? Let me, let me make sure you understand that. It's speaking and living, okay? They say two different things. Each of them are, are contradicting each other. They, they live in two different ways, each of them contradicting each other. It's a double life. It's a double tongue. And so Jesus dealt with this throughout his earthly ministry, specifically when he was interacting with the Pharisees. And uh, there, there are two reasons, according to Jesus, the Pharisees were living a double life and using the double tongue. And these are the reasons he gives us in Matthew chapter 23. There was, they outwardly were fake and inwardly they were flawed. Let me say it again. They were outwardly fake and inwardly flawed. So in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 25, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, there's that word, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of exhortation and excess. Verse 26, Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter. I love that illustration. That the outside of them may be clean also. Skip down to verse 28. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. The double-tongued life is the result of being two things, outwardly fake and inwardly flawed. Now, we can all relate to that because at some point in our Christian walk, we've experienced that. If you haven't, Eventually you will because you're a human being and just like the Pharisees, we appear at times to have it all together on the outside. That cup looks really good, but inside there's something flawed. There's something desperately wrong. I am very convicted to preach this message. I feel so convicted that it reminds me of when I preached the message Secret Sin because we all deal with this. But when you have to stand in front of people and preach, it's even more convicting because you have the, the obligation, the responsibility to, to follow through with what you're saying. And that's not easy at times, but the same goes with you. You may not be a preacher, a teacher, a professor of the word of God, but you have the responsibility to give people truth. But if you're not living that truth, then you're living a double life. So let's focus on the writings of Jesus Christ, the words of Jesus, specifically in Matthew 23, verse 28. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men. Outwardly, they're flawed. And I believe they wanted respect, and that's why this was happening. They wanted to be respected. Jesus explains 
the mindset of the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, verse 6 and 7. He basically says it this way. He says they, they love the place of honor at the banquet. They, they want the most important seats at the synagogue. They want to, to be greeted with respect. And in the marketplace, they want to be called rabbi. They want and demand respect. They didn't want anybody to take that from them. They weren't going to let anybody get in the way of what their narrative is and their mindset is. This is who we are. This is the way we should be treated. And I don't want anything to interfere with that. We need to be respected. Do you know who we are? Look at us. And they presented themselves well. And so in John chapter 11, verse 48, we see that they're threatened by Jesus. And, 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 and they, they have this conversation. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. The Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Here's the thing. We can't allow this to happen. We can't allow the teachings of Jesus to continue on because it, it compromises our authority. It compromises our traditions. And so they were so wound up about this that they were going to do whatever it takes to stop that from happening. The Pharisees would do whatever it takes to get the respect they want. But the respect they were seeking was pride and full of arrogancy. And I think there's a problem, not just with the next gen and, and the next gen with the, the millennials and Gen Z, but within the, uh, the baby boomers and in my generation, Generation X, we all have dealt with this issue. We want respect and we'll do whatever it takes but when it comes to respect, you just don't get it. You earn it. The Pharisees would do whatever it takes because they wanted it so desperately. They were seeking that out. Have you ever met somebody that wanted to be respected, but they didn't earn it? Y'all follow me? Yeah, it drives me crazy. The Pharisees performed in such a way that they believed the people should respect them for a multiple reasons. Uh, because of their knowledge of the Word of God. Uh, because they looked the part. Because they knew the law. Before, because they performed well. Because they looked well. Because they were religious. They were conservative. They, they were all of these things on the outside. But there was something drastically missing on the inside. This is beautiful. I'm going to quote Bruce Lee. He once said, knowledge is power, but character is respect. He knows power. But the reality is, that's, that's true for us. We, we, we have to understand that just because you know the Word of God doesn't mean people ought to respect you. It's living God's Word. It's practicing it. Understanding when you're wrong and owning up to it. It's, it's learning that, that it's important to earn respect. You can't inherit respect. You can only earn it. It's never going to be given to you. I, um, I've seen throughout, I haven't been in ministry a, a long, long time, but full time for like 21 years. And I've seen people come and go, people come and go in ministry. Specifically with youth pastors. And they desire so drastically, desperately, not drastically, desperately to have respect. And I'm like, man, it's taking a, it'll take a little time. I was there when I was in Tennessee and I, I became a youth pastor at age 23. I wanted respect. And I learned immediately that that is something that takes time and you earn that. 
You can act one way and you can present well, but that doesn't mean you're going to get what you want when you want it. Just because you are a parent doesn't mean uh, you've earned the respect that you feel like you deserve. Just because you are a uh, provider doesn't mean that your children are going to respect you as a father. There's a distinct difference between being a father and a provider. We naturally want respect. We want the respect of our peers. I want the respect of my children, my friends, my family. But the question is, what are you doing to get it? The Pharisees would do whatever it takes to present themselves in a hypocritical way to get respect. People should notice what we are doing. And uh, at some points, they would even make their garments more elaborate. They would take the scriptures and they'd put them in a larger box and strap it to their forehead. They would stand in the streets and they would pray aloud for everybody to hear. And then they'd make sure everybody knew they were fasting. So they'd make sure their face looked like they were going through some hard, difficult times. And then they'd let people know why they were going through that hard, difficult time. Because I haven't... I haven't eaten in like a week, and so I'm fasting. This is, and you should respect me for that because this is, this is what righteous people do. And so, outwardly, they're seeking gratification, but inwardly, they needed some change. Are you seeking respect by performing well outwardly? It's a good question. I'm really good at that. I, I like to look as if everything's okay. I try not to walk around as if I'm upset, you know? And pastors have to do that. The one minute they're dealing with this and it's all over their face, and the next minute they're like, hey, how are you? And I am a hypocrite at times with that. Now, don't look at me judgmental. You, you go through it too. We all deal with that. It's a difficulty in life. Outwardly, they're fake. They wanted to be respected. But, you know, here's something that we all can relate to, they wanted to be accepted. Whether you say it or not, we all want to be accepted. We, we want somebody's approval. I don't know who that somebody is for you, but you want their approval. And it could be a parent. It, it could be your husband, your wife. It could be your children. It could be people you work with. You want their approval. Often with teenagers, um, they want to be accepted. They want the approval of their friends. And so they make the worst decisions at that period of time in their life because they're so desperate to be accepted. So in order to get the approval or in, or in the acceptance, uh, they seek after things that are not them, to be something that is not them, a new identity. I tell you, this is um, something as adults we deal with, you know, constantly. You say, well, that's not me. But does your social media say something different? Uh, Social media is the number one cause of hypocrisy. It really is. It's amazing what social media will do. It'll push us to post things and say things and share things that aren't necessarily really true about our lives. We do it all the time. My mom just confronted me on this. You guys probably saw my post of everybody making those gingerbread houses. I went in there, and mom was like, why don't you just come and sit with us? And I'm like, mom, I'm tired, and I want to make gingerbread houses. So I come in there, and I was taking some, some pictures, and I was like showing Ellie, and, and then I took some video, and, and, I, and mom said, you're only doing that to put it on Facebook. You weren't even helping us. I said, well, then I'll clarify on Facebook. 
And I did. <laughs> because I didn't want to make a gingerbread house. But I enjoyed watching you guys. Kind of. My point is simple. We all do that. We want to look like we got it together. We want to be accepted. We want to be an, accept- an exceptional uh, parent. And so on social media, we go above and beyond to make sure that selfie is just right. And we'll go above and beyond to make sure that photo of our family looks just perfect. When behind it all, there's so much wrong, it's fake, problems. And Jesus said in Matthew 23 and verse 5, the Pharisees do all their deeds to be seen by others. We want the shares and the thumbs up and the approval of people. We want it so desperately we change our identity. We want it so desperately that we will manipulate and change what is the reality of who we are. And that is hypocrisy. That is an outward way of presenting yourself that is absolutely fake. And so this double-tongued is presenting yourself one way and doing life another way. The Pharisees struggled with this. And even the church struggled with this. It wasn't just the Pharisees. Paul addressed this in his letter to the Galatians in in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. In Galatia, they were struggling because these missionaries came in and they were explaining to the people that you have to do A, B, and C in order for salvation to be applied. And they're like, well, then let's do that. But it was works. And Paul said, no, you're not going to do that. There's a problem with what they're teaching you. It's not right. And so Paul had to bow against the missionaries and what they taught. And through that, Paul made it very clear. I do not need the approval of man. I'm not out to get their approval. They may not like the what I say. And word's going to spread that I am going against their teachings. And that's okay because I seek to please God and not men. If I please men, according to Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, then I'm not a servant of Jesus Christ. I can't be a servant of Jesus Christ. So he understood the necessity of being accepted by Jesus Christ and not the approval of man. Whose approval is more important to you, God's or people's? Stop maintaining the outside and start changing the inside. And I think that's the only way that we can see a change in our lives when it comes to being double-tongued. Outwardly, being fake is accomplished in two ways. Sometimes we, we portray, a, a, if you would, a good on the outside, but there's bad on the inside. And then sometimes it's the flip side of that. Sometimes we are trying to be accepted and we portray ourselves to be something we're not, like... Wrong, evil, sinful, and inside we're struggling and saying, no, this isn't right. Often Christian teenagers deal with that. They want to fit in. And when I was doing FCA a couple of Wednesdays ago, we asked the question about your identity and how you want to fit in and what people do to fit in. And it was amazing what some of those middle school kids would say about their friends and why their friends would present themselves to get into an in-crowd or be a part of the, the clique of the sports, uh, the, the athletes, if you would, and what they would compromise when they knew who they truly were in Jesus Christ. And I think it goes both ways. Sometimes there's evil within us, but on the outside, like the Pharisees, we're presenting ourselves well. There's constant discord in our home. 
There's constant division with our children. You don't get along with anybody at work. You are just an unpleasant person. But inside, you're a Christian. You're just not living it. You're just not living it. And Christ is constantly convicting and trying to draw you back to what was right. But you fight it. And then you got the other people that are presenting themselves all like putting on a mask and they just got it all worked out. They got everything figured out. They're that perfect mom, that perfect wife, that perfect husband, that perfect father. In reality, they're not at all. It's just a facade. Outwardly, they're fake. They want respect. They want to be accepted. Let me show you this too. Matthew chapter 23, verse 28, the second part. But within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Inwardly, They're flawed. Inwardly, they're flawed because they're posers of the truth. Think about that. Ye are full of hypocrisy. We have a tree at our house. And I love this tree. It's in our front yard. And um, it's a huge tree. This is the tree. It's beautiful. I love it. It gives us a lot of shade in the summer. But then a storm came along. A big chunk of the tree fell. Big limb Another storm came later, and another big piece of the tree fell. And then I realized there's something wrong with the tree. The leaves look fine. The limbs, I thought, were fine. And then on the other side here, on this side right here, I noticed there's this rot and decay, and I noticed there's these big black ants that are crawling in and out of the tree. There was an issue within the tree, and I never knew it. You know why? Because it's still, if you want to call it fruit, it's producing fruit, it's producing healthy leaves, and everything still looked really good on the outside. But something was decaying on the inside. Inside, it was flawed. It was posing for me as if it was a good tree. But this tree was actually deadly because these limbs are really close to my room, and they're also close to Ellie's room. So when we have a big storm, I got to the point where I would tell Ellie, you got to sleep on the couch. And then if she really made me mad, I'm like, you should sleep in your bedroom tonight. (laughs) You'll catch on to that one. But the point is, there was something wrong with the tree. And what we thought was a good thing, and it looked good, was not a good thing, because there was something wrong within the tree. Jesus said it best in this passage of Scripture, Matthew 23, verse 25 and 26. He basically says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within, they're full of exhortation and excess. Look at this. This is not the same cup that I'm talking about. But in my garage, I had this exact cup. It was the larger version. We have two versions of this. And I'd work in my garage, and I would drink coffee. Every time I work in my garage, I just enjoy drinking coffee. And so I'd set it on the, the counter there, the workbench, and I'd forget about it. And a week later, I'd go in my garage and go, oh, I should grab that cup. But because it looked just fine, it's not bothering anybody, it's not a problem, I'd leave it another week, another week. I used to do this in my office. You remember, Iris used to work for Fellowship Baptist, and uh, she'd clean my office, and she'd get so frustrated because I did the same thing because I'd have coffee in the cup. You know what happens to coffee when it sits for a couple of weeks? It stinks, and it gets moldy, and then it just crusts. It just gets crusty. It's like a... A layer of crust. And finally, after about four weeks, I walked over to my workbench and I picked it up and I'm like, I should take this in. And then I flipped it over and I looked inside and I realized, I don't, I got a problem. I don't even know if this will come out. This is like 
disgusting. This is, this is rotten. This is decayed. This is crusty. See, when I would walk by that cup, I didn't pay attention to what was inside the cup. I didn't think there was an issue with the cup. I didn't know it was flawed inside. All I thought is I got time to take care of that cup later. But the longer I waited, the worse it got. I think what's happened in our lives, just like Jesus says in Matthew 23, he said, there's a problem. And you're so focused on the outside, you don't see what's going on in the inside. And this is the other side of the tongue. You are looking at this side and it looks really good, but what's inside is decay. It's flawed. It's nasty. And you better take care of what's inside and clean it out and stop worrying what's on the outside because the outside isn't the issue. The outside of the tree wasn't the problem. The inside of the tree was what was the problem, which would eventually hurt my family. Let me tell you this. It wasn't until I took the time to look within the cup that I realized there was a need and the need was for this to be cleaned. And it's not until we stop and look inside ourselves that we realize there's a need and something needs to be cleaned. David said it best. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. A poser of truth. A poser of truth is not willing to see their own flaws within. They're not willing to look deep within. You know, Jesus said about the Pharisees, he said the reason why they're not willing to look is because it's as if they can't see. He literally calls them blind Pharisees in Matthew 23 and verse 26. He said, you can't even see what's going on in here because you're blinded to it. You know why we're blinded to it? Because we get so used to it. It just becomes a part of our life. We're used to performing at church. We're used to saying whatever people want to hear and then doing the complete opposite. We're used to living one way and living another way. Inwardly, it's flawed and there's this poser of truth. The poser of truth is not willing to see the flaws within. I, I, it's easy to see other people's flaws. It's so easy. But when it comes to ourselves, we just don't want to look deep within. We want to give truth, but we don't want to live it. Author and theologian Brenna Manning said, The single greatest cause of atheism is in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Why is that? I think in 2 Timothy 3, in verse 5, it sums it up. Having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Knowing and speaking truth, but intentionally contradicting it. And living in a way that's a poser lifestyle. Titus 1.16 says it this way. They profess that they know God, but in their works they deny him being abominable and disobedient. Don't say that you believe. Are you all following me? Don't say you believe in giving if you're not a giver. Don't believe. don't, Don't tell people you should tithe. I believe in tithing if you're not a tither. Just keep that to yourself. All right? Don't be a poser. Don't tell me, don't tell me that you love people if you have no compassion for people. If your compassion is only for your family inside your little house, don't feed me that garbage. Don't tell me 
that you are all 100% unserving people and loving people and you never lift a finger for Jesus Christ. You never do anything. You never use your spiritual gifts. You know what you are? You're a poser of truths. <laughs> we all do it. I know I may have lost you on that one and I'm guilty of it too. But it's true. People shouldn't say they want to do right and they do right with their words, but intentionally, every single day, they're doing the opposite. Just don't be a poser of truth. Just be quiet. Just don't say anything at all. Can you do that? That's the, it's better for us just to do that than to pretend. I am very careful sometimes to just step back and say, probably not a good time to say this. Because I'm analyzing my own life thinking this is something that I'm struggling with. Why do I want to preach at this person? Why, why, why would I want to open this can? I don't want to do that. Romans chapter 2 and verse 21. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Paul bids this question. Thou that preachest a man should not steal, do you steal? Where are you at? And he goes on and on and on. Everything from adultery to works. And basically says, how can you preach at other people to do this and that and the other, and you're not even doing it yourself. It's better as a church just to be quiet than to have a double tongue. It's the double tongue Christians that hide behind the wall of truth saying one thing and do another. And I hide behind it a lot. I'm being very transparent. I do it often and I hate it. And I have to catch myself and say, search me, O God. I want to know what's going on within me because I don't want to live that lifestyle. Stop being a poser of truth. James 4, 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If you know what you're saying is contrary to what you're living, then stop because it's sin. Hebrews 10, 26 says it this way. For if we, if, if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. That terrifies me. If you haven't been awake or alert this whole time, I need you to at this very moment. That is a terrifying passage of scripture. Willfully and intentionally living continually in sin and not thinking anything of it. The Bible says there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. In other words, Paul said it this way, how can we continue any longer therein? That grace may be bound. You think you can live any way you want and you're thumbs up, good to go, on your way to heaven? There's something not right. I, don't, I, I absolutely believe in eternal security. I believe that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he will convict you, he will correct you, he's, he's your heavenly father. But I also believe this, no doubt about it. If you continually live in sin without remorse and you do not care, you probably never had Jesus in your life in the first place. It's not that you lost it. I just don't think you ever had it. Now, let me clarify before you get really discouraged. There's a difference between living it and fighting it. Y'all with me? Living it means don't care. I'm going to be blunt and straightforward with people. This is who I am. That's not double tongue. That's just bluntly saying, I do not care. This is who I am. Then you have the others that are saying, hey, I don't want anybody else to know this, but this is what I'm doing, and I don't want them to know. 
And then when you get with them, you're like, yeah, I'm cool with you guys. It's a chameleon, you know, you're both, you're changing colors. And then you have those that are like, I don't want to live this way. And you're so transparent, you lean on brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I'm struggling, I'm fighting. I'm not living this way. I'm fighting to be different, but I'm not, I feel like I'm not winning. I need help. And you're prayerful and you're intentional and you're seeking out people that can invest in your life because you're struggling. Do you see the difference? There's a distinct difference. Here we go. The thing about the N-word being flawed, it's, it's not just because they're a poser of the truth, but they're infiltrated with sin, according to Matthew 23 and verse 20, 28. They're full of iniquity. When you're full of something, that means you don't have room for anything else. Pretty simple, huh? That was deep. It's kind of like my basement. It's my man cave. I am a Superman fan. I've been a Superman fan since I was a kid. So I'd have all these collectibles. I, I fill my basement with collectibles. And so I have my entertainment center filled, and then I have multiple walls filled, one after the other. It's just filled with Superman stuff. I love Superman. So I've been collecting it forever, and I'm very intentional about where it goes and how it's displayed. And so I got an obsession with this, right? So I go buy more Superman stuff. And then Brianna's like, you know, you have no space for that. You have to make a decision. If you want that piece, Brianna says, you have to make a decision. You have to decide. Do you want to keep what you have or do you want to change it? Yeah. You want to remove some things and replace them. And man, I struggle with that because I'm so satisfied with what I have. I don't want to remove anything. I want to keep it just the way it is. But if I want to change, if I want to add to it something fresh, something new, then I have to make a decision to remove some things. Here's the thing. Deep within the walls of hypocrisy... There's little to no room for change. The only way for there to be a change is removing some things. You can't be double-tongued. But the problem is the double-tongued, the hypocrite, likes their narrative. They like what they've got. They're so used to it. They can't imagine changing what they've already established. This is just the way it's been. I mean, I've always had this Superman series on this wall. I've always had this, this, the records of every movie on this wall, every Superman movie on this wall. Why would I take that down? I have no room for anything else. This is the way it's always been. I like it this way. And I think within the life of the double tongue, they do the same. I have this side and this side of saying things, and I just don't know any other way to do it. I know that in order to have a righteous tongue to, to please Jesus Christ and not be double-minded, things have to change, but I just don't know if I can do that. It's a decision. They're like hoarders. They'd rather hold on to their trash than remove it and clean it out. How many know a hoarder? You ever been in their house? You cringe and you're thinking, oh, I just want to clean this out. But I think Jesus is looking at the double-tongued lifestyle and saying, I just want to clean this out. Jesus said to the Pharisees, I just want you to look inside. You have so much potential. Paul was a Pharisee. He had so much potential. He cleaned it out and everything changed. And I think what we've done within the church, we have allowed some things to remain and we're not willing to clean it out. Jesus, again, the words of Jesus, verse 26, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter that the outside of them may be clean also. Man, 
When we're infiltrated with the lies and double life, we soon don't make any other way to live. And the only way to be a transparent, righteous individual is to clean the inside out. Infiltrated with sin that's controlling our narratives, our presentation, and our outlook. Here's where it is. Watch this. The interior of mankind is only changed by remodel. And I do not like remodeling. Paul put it this way, okay? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Remodeling takes time. How many know what I'm talking about? You did some remodeling. You're still, how many are in, a, in the middle of remodeling right now? Keep your hand raised if you agree with me. Do you feel like it will never end? Yes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> never ending remodel. You know what's interesting about remodeling? It not only takes time, it takes work, and it costs you something. It costs you something. And the same goes with renewing, if you would, or remodeling the interior of a man or a woman, the poser, the pretender, the double tongue. You're going to have to put some time and work in it. You say, well, I prayed about it. Well, that's not good enough. It don't work that way. I wish it was that easy. Just one, two, three, repeat after me, say this prayer, you're good to go. It doesn't work that way. How many have tried to change some things in your life and you said the same prayer once, twice, three, four, ten times? Y'all with me? Do it all the time. You know why? Because you're constantly remodeling and working. And it costs. It costs financially when you're remodeling physically your bathroom. It took forever to remodel our bathroom. We get through one project in the bathroom. We're like, oh, we have something else. And, and when you dig deep enough, you realize there's more to it than you realized. We, dig, we take out the floor. My father-in-law helped us with this. And we're like, oh, the floor's rotten around the toilet. It's all rotten. What? Now we have to replace this. In my flesh, I'm thinking, let's just cover it. Cover it up. Nobody's going to see it. It's going to be a little bit of a soft spot, but that's okay. I mean, our tile will probably crack, but I can live with that. I don't want to rip out the floor. You know what? We do the same thing with our lives. Do we really have to dig that deep? Do I have to remove this? Do I have to change this narrative? Do I have to change this way of speaking? Do I have to change this? Do I have to work on this? Yes, you do. Because if you don't, it will not fix the problem. Remodeling will take you time. It takes work. And it's going to cost you some things. It's going to cost you some conversations that you didn't want to have. Where you have to be transparent and say, listen, I was wrong. This is not the way I should have handled this. It's okay to be wrong. I'm wrong a lot. I'm married. I know it. She tells me. The reality is when you are wrong, just humble yourself. You say only 30% of it I was wrong in. Well, the 70% that you were right in, just humble yourself and say it's okay. It's all right. So I will not do that. Well, the Pharisees were the same way, so join the crowd. Reality is you got to. It's the only way you can change. That's the only way to remove that double tongue mentality. The double tongue does not change overnight. Hypocrisy doesn't change by a prayer. The lifestyle of a hypocrite takes time to change. It's work, 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 work. There's no magic pill. I wish there was, but there's not. Work starts within and works its way out. I'm going to quote David again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. I have to do it constantly, and I hate, I hate it when God reveals to me what's wrong. 
because that's part of that remodeling. And I got to go, I got to rip that out too? Ah, I have to go to that person and discuss this? I don't want to talk about this. Can we just leave it alone? Do I need to talk to my wife? Do I need to talk to my son? Do I need to talk to my daughter? Do I need to talk to my brother? God help me. I'd rather die. Y'all been, y'all been there, right? But that's part of the remodel. So let me just remind you. Outwardly, they were fake. They were so desperate for respect, they would do anything possible to get it, to be accepted. But inwardly, they were flawed. They were posers of truth. But more important to understand is they were infiltrated with sin. And the only way this could change, that double-tongued, double-minded mentality, was it had to start from the inside and work out by searching deep within and beginning the remodel according to Romans chapter 12 and 2. I want to close in a word of prayer. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name? I ask this simple question to everybody in here. Where are we? But God, I have to ask myself the same question. Where am I? What's missing? I don't want to be a poser, God. I I want to be real. But I'm struggling, constantly struggling and battling and struggling and battling with this. God, help us in the name of Jesus Christ just to own up to who we are. If we're, if, if we're living one way and, and, and then another way behind closed doors, God, help us to see it for what it is and change. Start the remodel. I pray and ask in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you'll give us clarity. Would you do this with your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a minute? Obviously, we don't have an altar or a place to come and pray and kneel. It's not necessary. It is an outward proclamation, if you would, to say, I want change, and I think that's good. But maybe your change is going to start right in your seat. I always had these things in my life that I would say, oh, this is the starting point. I had a revival, made a decision. I went to camp. I made a decision. I, I went to a retreat. I went to, a, a, you, know, a, you know, maybe the men's retreat we just had. You always, you always want to point to something to say, that was the change. That was my turning point. But the reality is, a true turning point starts within. It's an intimate, personal time with God. And I'm learning this more and more because I'm so desperate for something tangible to say, hey, on this time I had a revelation and everything changed. But there may not be something tangible. It may just be personal. And so right now, wherever you are at, I'm asking you to do this. Do what David did. Say, God, in my seat, where I'm at, in this library, I'm asking you to search me. God, if there's something that I haven't changed in, there's something I'm lacking in, something that I need to change in. I pray, Lord, please help me to change in this. Help me not to live this way anymore. Are you all with me? If you're with me, would you raise your hand? Just raise one of your hands. Man, I I hope you're with me because I am struggling with this. You say, well, we got a new beginning in this new building just around the corner. It's just, uh, it's about to happen. Boy, our, 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 our worship's going to change. Our children's ministry is going to change. More people are going to get involved. Let me tell you, if we're not right within, then nothing's going to change for Thrive Church. And I say publicly, it has to begin with me. 
And I want you to follow along too and say, God, I don't want to live a double life. I don't want to have a double tongue. I want a change in my life. God, help us in the name of Jesus Christ because I just sincerely pray that I can have a personal change in my life, that I can be an example and not a double-tongued individual. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.